I'm Belle and welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. Today's episode is going to follow on with the series micro histories that I started with last week and today I want to go into the history of lipstick. Okay, so I'm sure you might be thinking, is this fashion? Does makeup count as fashion? And why is it valid enough for a standalone episode? Well, it's a huge topic at its core, makeup as a whole even more so. But there is a really diverse and intriguing history to lipstick with the human experience of colouring our lips. And in fact, it has become a fashion staple for a whole host of communities and races and eras throughout the world. Now, a lot of the information I got from this episode I found from various books on um, makeup history and lipstick history specifically, as well as um, femininity in culture. I also use YouTube a lot, a lot of videos on, you know, the last hundred years of lipstick and the history of lipstick. Sophia Nygaard's video specifically was very helpful. But I also just found a whole host of articles online from uh, magazines, as well as Wikipedia was very helpful to find some of the most basic information. So if you're interested after this episode about looking into the history a little bit more in depth, then the information is out there. There's a lot of it. And I'll go more specifically into some of the books I used throughout the episode. Now, I think it's best here to kick off with where lipstick most likely began to be seen used in the world. Ancient Sumerian men and women were, as I've read, likely the first to invent and wear lip paint in some way 5,000 years ago. And Mesopotamians used crushed jewels to add to their lips to add a sense of status and colour. And this is really how lipstick began. Crushed sort of precious stones, powders, things like that. The lipstick, as we know today, is quite a modern invention. But one of the most um, famous and well-known images of lip paint is most likely with the ancient Egyptians. Red rouge was a staple of Egyptian royalty dress. Lips were reddened or darkened with pigment and it was an extremely desirable look. Red ochre was used as a stain on the lips as well as the cheeks, but it was apparently said to make you look more flushed. And this essentially meant healthy and fertile, which tells us a lot in itself, I think. But it was also used as a way to show status as opposed to gender, which is quite interesting. Most likely because you had to be of a certain status and have a certain amount of wealth to be able to access the luxury of makeup at its core. And also, I'm sure some of the lower class citizens were not needing to wear makeup and did not have the time to even involve themselves in colouring their lips. In ancient Greece, however, lip paint was something used only by courtesans and prostitutes specifically, really as a way to visually signal in a space who and what you were. Again, it's this way of using lipstick specifically as a real visual aid and it denotes a sort of sense of self, be this royalty or, you know, sexuality. But also moving into the east, in 200 BC, in ancient Han China dynasty, red lips were also used as a staple, but specifically for women. What's interesting here is that lips were shaped into typically feminine designs with the lip paint, like flowers, hearts and petals, giving the lips a very small, pinched and delicate look that is instantly recognisable and extremely beautiful. Have a look at some of these sort of early artworks if you want to know what I mean. Now, 
Now, of course, a lot of the information for this really ancient history is very limited and takes a lot more research than I am available to do on this podcast. And yet there's not as much information out there as there is on more modern history and particularly Western history. But nevertheless, what I found out is that BC particularly and in the East, lip paint and sort of rouge in a way, but specifically painting of the lips was a real staple of visually signaling to people who you were and what you were. And I think that's really fascinating. The sort of connotations of sexuality that we have now in the West is very, very different from what I read. But moving into the West in more modern history, lipstick and lip paint has fluctuated in popularity. And from what I've watched and read is less of a staple overall than other parts of the world. Religion played a big part in this. And from the Middle Ages to around the turn of the century, religion really dictated lip wear's accessibility and acceptability. There's a real association with lipstick and sin that crops up a great deal in the West from these time periods. It was really Really also the royalty that decided if lipstick was okay to wear and that it was no longer deemed sinful in society. I actually wrote my dissertation years ago on femininity and emancipation in the 20s and I remember finding a host of information that spoke about how makeup of all types and specifically lipstick actually was seen as covering God's work and was therefore deemed a sin to wear. The author Sheila Robotham has some great writing on this if you want to delve in more deeply but I think they're little too academic for a simple podcast, but they're great nonetheless. But this idea of royalty and sin is really interesting. And moving on from that idea, Queen Elizabeth is a great individual to talk about. She really changed opinions on makeup and made it such a popular and respectable thing to do in society. Obviously, she famously used white lead to cover her bad complexion, but also she wore quite heavy lipstick. I'm sure the fact she was known as the Virgin Queen um, dictated a lot of the ideal surrounding sin of the time because obviously a virgin cannot be sinful at the core. So by wearing lipstick, she was sort of allowing people to accept that this was okay. I mean, this might not be true, but just in my eyes, that's something that maybe could be connected. She did also, however, apparently believe that lipstick had health benefits due to its chemical makeup at the time. But I also heard she brushed her teeth with sugar because they believed it was abrasive and would rub off the dirt. So we'll take that with a pinch of salt. Nevertheless, she's a really important um, and interesting figure to think about the history of makeup and lipstick and its changing ideals. Although what's interesting to know is after this and after her influence, lip paint and red lipstick in particular became really synonymous with sex and sexuality and sex appeal. Lipstick became all about drama and show and female sexuality. I suppose this might be because throughout history and throughout Western history particularly, the colour red has been loaded with meaning and it all loops back to this idea and taboo of sin and the devil and hell. Of course, when England became Puritan ruled in the 17th century after Queen Elizabeth's rule, this of course made sure anything exaggerated became seen as sinful and lipstick was no stranger to this. Good old Ollie Cromwell and thank you to Charles II who restored fun. All you horrible history heads I'm sure will have a certain song in your mind right now. But yeah, of course, Charles II brought a lot of French lavishness back to England with him. And lipstick, as we know, was a staple of fashion in 17th and 18th century France. In the 18th century, rosebud lips 
were hugely fashionable and they're interestingly reminiscent of those from ancient China that I mentioned earlier. But they were worn by the wealthy and the bourgeoisie and they worked beautifully with that over-the-top French look of the red rouge, the beauty mark, the white face and the decorated powder wig. Again, we can see the choices made by the royals dictating what is seen as okay and what isn't. And I think that's really fascinating and clearly is something that happened not just in England, but obviously in Europe too. Although, of course, the French Revolution absolutely eradicated this and any sense of extremism, but nonetheless, it still happened. Now, the 19th century was a complicated time in terms of beauty and beauty standards, and especially in the UK. However, after um, the First World War, this changed rapidly and we see a swift turnaround in lipstick use. A book called Timeless by Louise Young explains that the custom was that respectable women did not wear makeup and this lasted into the early 20th century. What was deemed acceptable in the turn of the century was maintaining your complexion. And so cold creams, skin tonics, powders and skin lighteners were sold. This, I think, tells us a lot. But lipstick is really nowhere to be seen in an early 20th century and late 19th century makeup bag. But before we go into that time period, let's talk about the Victorian era. Lipstick? Absolutely not. Queen Victoria made sure of that. Uh, Her sort of famously dowdy, very dark black wear obviously she was in mourning for a lot of her life, really dictated what was deemed acceptable and fashionable during this era. And she obviously did not wear makeup of any kind. Lipstick was essentially reserved to certain circles, specifically prostitutes and actresses, both professions deemed as quite disreputable at the time. During the same time in the East, red lipstick was a staple of Japanese theatre, kabuki theatre, as I found out, and was used by geishas. In her video, um, 100 Years of Lipsticks, Fear Night, Nygaard says that makeup held some scandalous connotations throughout the world at this time and this is obviously clear. In the West however this changed particularly in the 1910s. In 1915 actresses Theda Bada and Musadora, I hope I'm saying that right, made the heavily lipsticked femme fatale look very popular and it was quite heralded. As Louise Young puts it, the arrival of the modern somewhat emancipated woman of the 20s in terms of popular makeup use specifically that is. Interestingly, in New York mostly, suffragettes took to the streets wearing bright lipstick in protests in around 1912. So this clapback at Victorian and turn-of-the-century beauty ideals, I'm sure, played a part in it feeding into the emancipation of women. As I said before, the sort of Victorian and very early turn-of-the-century ideal for women was to look white and youthful and glowy and beautiful and anything bright and extreme was deemed too sexual and therefore did not fit in with the beauty standards of the time and lipstick was obviously nowhere to be seen. I think at this time in particular, makeup was essentially a way of controlling a woman's sexuality and of course then the 19th and early 20th century beauty ideals of youthfulness and glowy were really notions associated with virginity and faith. It's clear then that the idea of lipstick as beauty peaked in the 20s. Silent films, for example, had a huge effect on this. And I'm sure a host of women in the West who had maybe lost a lot of their classic femininity during war work in factories, etc., saw the beautiful actresses and were desperate to reclaim this. And lipstick specifically was a simple and effective way to do so. And also, as I said before, I'm sure using very dark lipstick was a way to clap back at the Victorian ideals and kind of regain 
what femininity meant. Lipstick, as we know, was a staple of the 1920s silent film star's look, particularly dark red and plum that could be seen in black and white. Obviously, on the screen, these colours couldn't be seen specifically as red and plum, but the lipsticks would have then been sold by companies advertised by silent film stars and in person, the colours would have been the colours worn on screen. A brand called Tangy Lipstick also became popular. It was orange in its natural form until it was used and then it became anything from a rose to a deep blush so all women could use it. Essentially, it sort of um, catered to your skin tone and changed depending on the colour of your lips. In the 1920s, Max Factor also created the forerunner of lip gloss, according to Young, and this was named Lip Pomade. Essentially, the 1920s really spearheaded some developments in lipstick and they were no longer just sort of loose powders that you would rub on your lip in the same colour. Small lips with a very pronounced cupid bow were also very fashionable and so therefore dark colours specifically made this look easier to achieve and these were the most popular colours of the time. Lip stencils also became very popular to get this look seamlessly but I did read that most women preferred to go freehand to paint only the inside of the lip line using powder on the uncoloured edges. Silent movie star Clara Bow for example is the perfect model for this style if you want a visual aid. I do also think we need to credit the fascination of the Egyptians and Egyptology in the 20s to this popularity of lip paint. Think back to what I spoke about earlier and the popularity of dark lips in BC Egypt. Of course, Egyptology has a very problematic history and could be an episode all in itself, but it's undoubtable that it didn't affect 20s fashion and makeup use, of course. And Louise Brooks, for example, and some of her silent movie stills is a real example of how this look became popularised. But we can also definitely chalk this popularity down to ease of use. Maurice Levy in 1915 invented the metal bullet shaped lipstick container, which allowed travel and ease of use and an easy reapplication. And this was available in a huge host of colours. These lipstick tubes by the 1920s were therefore widely available and really made lipstick a much more easy day to day thing to wear. In the US, for example, a tube of lipstick would have cost a dime as it obviously contained a lot less product than a block or than a powder and was therefore no longer available for only the wealthy, as we saw in previous years. A lot of lipstick tubes from the time are really quite beautiful and fascinating little pieces of technology and engineering. I saw some photos of old lipstick tubes and when you took the lid off a lot of them, it would open a tiny little mirror that would flip up when you took it off so that when you were out and about, you could reapply your lipstick easily and you didn't have to access a mirror. They were also push up so the lipstick wouldn't have got everywhere and it was safely contained in the tube, which again links to this idea of ease of use. Obviously this had an impact on the popularity of lipstick, but we really can't deny that silent film stars in the early 20s were the real spearhead of making lipstick popular and acceptable. And this influence of the film stars really, I think, lasted up until the 50s, especially as royalty in the West particularly no longer had the same influence during this mid-century era. Hollywood, for example, became extremely glossy in the 1930s. The 1930s was a very glamorous era all in all. Elegance was a key to the look and therefore so was makeup, lipstick in particular. I think it's easy to forget how glamorous the 30s were, as I mentioned um, in my previous episode on ocean liners, because I think it's bookended by the 20s and by the 40s, the 20s being a very lavish and extreme decade and the 40s being quite a dour one. The 30s falls in between and often does get quite forgotten. 
During this time, lipstick was extremely popular, but used in a slightly different way to the 20s. It was still used in a way that made the lips appear smaller, but less dramatically than in the 20s. As you can see from a lot of adverts at the time, a wider array of colours were available, such as peaches and pinks, and the sort of dark plum and red rouge was less of a popular look than in the 20s. Of course, red lipstick was still worn and was still a staple for a lot of styles, but these really did shift between daytime and evening time. Look at photos of Jean Harlow and Greta Garbo, for example. Their lips are a lot less dramatically small than in the 20s and not quite as dark. Celebrity endorsements also plastered makeup ads at this time from brands like Maybelline and Coty, and new formulations were created to feed into this popularity. Helen Rubenstein was a pioneer of makeup development at the time, specifically lipstick, and she developed a sort of host of lipstick styles that differed for whatever way you wanted to wear it, so long wear or more glossy, for example. Lipstick containers also physically became smaller and much neater, which fed into the fashion of the time. 1930s these dresses are very flowy yet very tight to the body and bags were smaller than ever. A lot of the lipstick case designs of the time were also very beautifully art deco and were coveted as symbols of beauty and elegance and they became accessories in themselves. You didn't have much space in your bags for a lot of things and your lipstick would have been one of them. However in America specifically cosmetics also became much more regulated. The Federal Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act of 1938 meant that more natural tones became popular because women were encouraged to match their lipstick to their complexion, but also because the chemical makeup of lipstick had to change because of these new regulations. Darker colours, of course, required more pigment and often these pigments might have been maybe dangerous for the skin or not good for the skin at least. But essentially the essence of 30s glamour is a lot softer than that of the 20s and lipstick was a definite feminine staple during both, both in terms of daily use and for more glamorous looks. Now let's move on from the 30s and talk about the 40s. Cinema obviously peaked in the 40s, particularly in Hollywood, and particularly due to the need for escapism during this time period and during the war. So then did cosmetic use, and the starlet red lip has become a real infamous image in 40s fashion. During the war, beauty as duty was a used um, statement and slogan that encouraged lipstick use to maintain easy beauty and boost morale. If you were working um, on the home front or in a factory, just a simple lip colour was a very accessible way to maintain this beauty and also didn't it didn't take particularly long to apply and didn't sort of alter the way you were able to do your job in any way in the way that perhaps putting something on your eyes would have done the brand tangy as i mentioned earlier was still going strong in the 40s and it had an ad campaign which was called war women and lipstick and another called uniform lipstick both of which essentially encouraging women to carry on wearing lipstick as a way to maintain their femininity and beauty during war work however of course women had to really improvise during this time and use a lot of homemade concoctions unlike the ready to wear easy use of the prior 20 years and during wartime paper tubing also replaced metal to ensure lipstick was still able to be manufactured in some way and also to save precious metal resources it's clear then despite the difficulty of wearing lipstick and its accessibility it was still a real expectation on women and it's still associated with this idea of sex appeal and femininity. However in the US particularly some teen magazines stressed for young women not to wear bright lipsticks and that men preferred a natural look most likely due to the connotations with lipstick and adult sexuality which is a recurring theme it seems. Girls however were desperate to wear lippy as apparently it conveyed a 
mantle of maturity and womanhood of which young girls have always aspired to, I think. I found a lot of this information from a book called Girl Culture by Claudia Mitchell, which is a really good read if you're interested in the topic. Harking back to this idea of the influence of Hollywood, Elizabeth Taylor was a spearhead popularising a strong red lip, and this bled into the 50s. Red lippy was, of course, a staple of the 50s look in the West almost as much as in the 40s. Fuller lips, however, were most popular in the 50s, and unlike previous decades, the lips would be overdrawn to create this look rather than drawn on the inside lip. Now, moving specifically into the 50s, starlets were seen all over lipstick adverts and lipstick sales were better than ever as women wanted really to emulate their idols. I suppose if they were young in the 40s, this would have been something that they'd been brought up aspiring to. Think Marilyn Monroe, for example, of course. By 1959, according to Allure, Americans spent more than $93 million on lipstick alone. Companies like Maybelline and Avon therefore competed hotly to create new formulas and better adverts. Long wearing and matte lipsticks soared in popularity and companies like Revlon tried everything to boost sales. Even in their jobs, women were expected to wear a red lip and it even became a part of a lot of uniforms. Think about air hostesses specifically. But this really shows how strong and pervasive the influence of lipstick was in this era. It's a real era of beauty and female sexuality, particularly in the US. In the late 50s then and moving into the very early 60s, lipstick was so associated with femininity. Women chose not to wear lipstick, were assumed to be inactive members of society or even accused of lesbianism. Clearly in the 50s, the adverts were so strong and the ideal of female sexuality was so strong that all women were supposed to wear a red lip. It was part of your daily uniform as a woman. And if you didn't do so, that was deemed strange or different. Actually, if you look at most fashions from the 50s, be this um, nighttime glamour or streetwear, pretty much everybody is wearing a red lip. Now, moving into the 60s, frosted, lighter shades slowly became more popular, most likely due to the extreme popularity and pervasiveness of red, dark lips for the last 40 years. Eyeshadow then became the garish makeup trend, particularly for mods, and lips became much softer and lighter. In some fashion styles, the idea was to eradicate the lip altogether by wearing a colour that was very similar to your foundation or your skin tone. It's not like the 30s where it was merely a softer peachy lip, but a skin toned lip. A really blue frosted lip can also be seen worn in some circles and in some advertisements. And the difference between the early 50s and this blue frosted lip is just crazy. The 60s is quite fascinating in that way, in how much the later 60s in the UK specifically was different to that of America in the early 50s. I do think this lighter colour was also less associated with sex and extreme femininity. And so lipstick became more available to teens. And that really did help in its popularity. And a lot of adverts at the time can be seen advertising to young women and teens, which obviously in the 40s and 50s was quite frowned upon. I think this also all fed into the nude, no makeup look of the 70s, which most likely happened due to that kind of hippie female revolution era. Lipstick in the US was also more widely advertised to new markets with a more diverse range, including teens, but to African Americans and Asian women. So a wider array of colours was made available, and also this was made more popular to wear a wider array of colours. 
Avon was a big spearhead for this in the US. And if you look at some of their advertisements, it clearly shows a much more diverse portfolio of models than in the 40s and 50s. However, this really changed again in the 80s and the bold lip was back, particularly for evening looks. In 1981, for example, MTV launched and music videos showing heavily makeup women with bold lip colours became popular. This contrasted greatly to the 70s look that I mentioned earlier, which was very au natural, very salt of the earth hippie. Fuchsias, dark reds and purples were popular colours and 50s fashion also became quite popular in the 80s. A lot of 80s clothes are sort of styled in a way that's very similar and hark back to the silhouettes and the shapes of 50s fashion. This likely had an effect on what was popular in terms of makeup and red lipstick obviously was no stranger to this. Women also joined the workforce in bigger numbers than ever in the 80s. The idea of the sort of working woman is a very strong image, the power suit, etc., And a lot of women, I think, then favoured strong makeup looks to wear to work. And this was maybe as a way to retain femininity in quite largely male offices. Obviously, that's just speculation on my part, but it would make sense. And a lot of adverts from the time show women with bright eyes, big eyebrows and bright red lips in their power suits at the office. Now, I think we'll end with the 80s as anything later than that isn't quite history, quite in the same way. And we all know what went on in the 90s, 2000s and 10s because we were most likely there. There were no major changes in these later eras. It was more harking back to old styles. Um, The only major thing that happened in the 90s was lighter lip gloss, which was quite 60s in the way it framed the face. And later into the recent years, the dark matte lip became popular. And this harks back to the kind of long lasting styles of the 20s, in my opinion. So I hope you enjoyed this little dip into some lipstick history. I'm sure there's a whole host of information I missed. But as I said, these episodes are only going to be brief snippets. And with lipstick, the overwhelming association I found was with religion, sin and female sexuality in the West and in modern history. And I really wanted to hone in on that as my sort of specific area. Of course, I focused, as I said, much more on the West and of modern history, but that's just because there is a lot more information out there available to me personally. But again, as I said, if you were interested in any of the things I said at the beginning, just go online, go on YouTube. The information is definitely out there if you want some more in-depth knowledge. But what I think is really interesting in this sense is the associations with sin and sexuality in the West and in modern history, but further afield and in more ancient areas, there was clearly an association with status, which I think is fascinating. Just looking at lipstick specifically then gives us this insight into the culture and values of so many places and time periods. And that's why I'm really happy that I spoke about it for this episode. Now, on that note, I'm all done. I hope you enjoyed. And again, if you have any ideas for other snippet topics, do message me on at Silhouettes Podcast on Instagram. As always, I'm Belle and stay fabulous, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>